Welcome to Friendly Words, the sermon podcast of Pratt Friends Church in Pratt, Kansas. The message you're about to hear was originally preached at Pratt Friends Church on Sunday, November 14, 2021. It focuses on God's generosity toward those who do not know Him. The message to all who will listen is God is generous with His Word, spreading it through His servants' mouths, so many can hear of the salvation He offers through His Son and believe and be saved. Now, here is Pastor Mike Neifert. Let's pray together. God, thanks for your word and that you always accomplish what you desire when it goes forth. We trust that you're going to do that, that you're going to fulfill that promise to meet with us and speak to us through your word and that in our hearts you're going to do everything you desire. May your will be done. In Jesus' name, amen. Stories are powerful, aren't they? This is true whether they're a fictional work of a master author or a vividly recalled experience retold by somebody who was there or the stumbling confessions of a hurting friend who just needs to vent. I've been deeply moved by all of these things. I'm sure that many of you have been moved by stories as well. When I was young, I remember being swept away in wonder as my dad read the Chronicles of Narnia to us at the dinner table. My siblings and I enjoyed those greatly. The stories of Daniel and his brave friends encouraged my trust in God when I was in my teen years, listening to my cousin talk about his visit to Cedar Point Amusement Park, a place that had 16 roller coasters, enthralled me. I was moved. Maybe not in the same way. This past week, I discovered a new podcast with a strange name. It's called The Moth. Kind of a weird name for a podcast. But it's a public broadcasting show which features true life stories of individuals who participated in these storytelling events across the nation. There are some episodes which contain explicit material, which I have skipped over. But the remaining releases go beyond entertaining. They remind me that all of us, no matter what we believe or where we're at in life, we share commonality because we're people, human beings on earth. Every other week at Celebrate Recovery, we hear a real-life story from someone who, with the help of God and a few trusted friends, has overcome great adversity. Addicts who have left their chemical dependency behind. Grieving persons who have made it through a chaotic time in family life. Men and women whose lives uh, were reborn through faith in Jesus and the Spirit's work. Testimony nights are absolutely my Favorite thing, they're the best. Lessons are good too, but I really like Testimony Night. They always encourage me. As I talked with many of you on the phone this week after telling me how good the meal was that I missed, thanks a lot, you mentioned how encouraging and fascinating Doris's stories were from the mission field, and I enjoyed them as I listened to her message, as I edited it for our church podcast. God's goodness was on display as I listened to things that God did in her life over the years. And of course, having grown up on the mission field in Burundi, my wife had a special connection with Aunt Doris, and so that was fun as well. Since early last month, we've been taking a bit of the narrative each week as we work our way through Mark's 
retelling of Jesus's life story. We've been encouraged so far by the words and actions of God's holy, compassionate, good, and fearless son, Jesus. Today, we're going to pick up where we left off. We're going to find our Savior telling his own stories. Mark chapter 4 contains three parables, which Jesus used to tell folks about the kingdom that he'd come to set up. Most, as you'll see, didn't get his point each time he intoned, this is what the kingdom of God is like, but some got it. This chapter ends with a real-life story of peril on a stormy sea. I think we may hold off on talking about that final episode until next week. It fits better, it seems to me, with the stories that are told in the next chapter. Whether that be true or not, we'll still read the whole chapter this morning, starting with the parable of the sower, proceeding through the parables of the growing seed and the mustard seed, and wrapping things up with this maritime tale. So this morning, Denise is going to read Mark chapter 4 for us. Please listen carefully and follow along as she does so. Pay attention to what God may be saying to you as his word is spoken forth. The Spirit is present and can give you a personal message if you're locked in, and it may be something completely different than what I bring after the reading is done. So hear God's word, pay attention to the Spirit, and be blessed as we go through Mark chapter 4. Chapter 4. Again, he began to teach beside the sea. And a very large crowd gathered about him, so that he got into a boat and sat in it on the sea. And the whole crowd was beside of the sea on the land. And he was teaching them many things in parables. And in his teaching, he said to them, Listen, behold, a sower went out to sow, and as he sowed, some seed fell among the path, and the birds came and devoured it. Other seed fell on the rocky ground, where it did not have much soil, and immediately it sprang up since it had no depth of soil. And when the sun rose, it was scorched, and since it had no root, it withered away. Other seed fell among thorns, and the thorns grew up and choked it, and it yielded no grain. And other seed fell into good soil and produced a grain, growing up and increasing and yielding thirtyfold and sixtyfold and a hundredfold. And he said, He who has ears to hear, let him hear. And when he was alone, those around him with the twelve asked him about these parables. And he said to them, To you has been given the secret of the kingdom of God. But for those outside, everything is a parable, so that they may indeed see, but not perceive, and may indeed hear, but not understand, lest they should turn and be forgiven. And he said to them, Do you not understand this parable? How then will you understand all the other parables? The sower sows the word, and those are the ones among the path where the word is sown. When they hear, Satan immediately comes and takes away the word that is sown in them, and these are the ones sown on rocky ground. And the ones who, when they hear the word, immediately receive it with joy, and they have no root in themselves, but endure for a while. Then, when tribulation or persecution arises on account of the word, immediately they fall away. And others are the ones sown among thorns, and they are those who hear the word, but the cares of the world and the deceitfulness of riches and the desires of other things enter in and choke the word, and it proves unfruitful. But those that were sown on the good soil are the ones who hear the word and accept it, and it bears fruit thirtyfold, sixtyfold, and a hundredfold. And he said to them, 
Is the lamp brought in to put under a basket or under a bed or on a stand? For nothing is hidden except to be made manifest, nor is anything secret to come to light. If anyone has ears to hear, let him hear. And he said to them, Pay attention to what you hear. With the measure you use it will be measured to you, and still more will be added to you. For to the one who has, more will be given. And from the one who has not, even what he has will be taken away. And he said, The kingdom of God is as if a man should scatter seed on the ground. He sleeps and rises night and day, and the seed sprouts and grows. He knows not how. The earth produces by itself first the blade, then the ear, then the full corn in the ear. But when the grain is ripe, at once he puts in the sickle, because the harvest has come. And he said, With what can we compare the kingdom of God, or what parable shall we use for it? It is like a grain of mustard seed, which, when sown on the ground, is the smallest of all the seeds on earth. Yet when it is sown, it grows up and becomes larger than all the garden plants and puts out large branches so that the birds of the air can make nests in its shade. With many such parables, he spoke the word to them as they were able to hear it. He did not speak to them without a parable, but privately to his own disciples he explained everything. On that day, when evening had come, he said to them, Let us go across to the other side. And leaving the crowd, they took him with them in the boat, just as he was. And other boats were with him. And a great windstorm arose, and the waves were breaking into the boat, so that the boat was already filling. But he was in the stern, asleep on the cushion. And they woke him and said to him, Teacher, do you not care that we are perishing? And he awoke and rebuked the wind and said to the sea, Peace, be still. And the wind ceased, and there was a great calm. He said to them, Why are you so afraid? Have you still no faith? And they were filled with great fear and said to one another, Who then is this that even the wind and the sea obey him? Jesus knows how to point people toward the greater reality that's behind what they can see. He uses things understood, ordinary, everyday things, situations familiar to his audience to convey deeper spiritual truths. He introduces the crowds and his disciples to the way things are beyond the seeable world by speaking of the tangible. Is this strategy effective? In some ways, yes. His short stories grab the attention of everyone. They recognize the things he's speaking of. They're sucked into the drama as it unfolds. But there are a lot of folks who don't get what he's saying. Even the 12 guys he's chosen to be closest to him seem a bit puzzled here. They're shrugging their shoulders with the completely uninitiated. And when they get Jesus alone after he tells the first tale, the disciples are bursting the seams. What in the world were you talking about? And it seems the pattern continued as Jesus kept telling obscure moral tales throughout this chapter. Did you catch it in verses 33 and 34? Mark wrote this about the subsequent storytelling sessions. He said, with many similar parables, Jesus spoke the word to them as much as they could understand. He did not say anything to them without using a parable, but when he was alone with his own disciples, he explained everything. 
if the meaning is missed by nearly all who hear, if Jesus has to explain things to those who are most likely to get it, is his mode of communication successful? To our modern minds, his behavior makes no sense. Clear communication is something that we value. If people are confused by our words, we work hard to remedy the problem. We look for ways to make our message comprehensible, understandable, plain. Years ago, I was told that to communicate clearly, I needed to reduce my vocabulary to the words that eighth graders could understand. That is the way, evidently, to make sure that what you put forward is accessible to the largest number of peoples. Not sure I always keep things as simple as I ought to. Sometimes I speculate that my multisyllabic mutterings instigate confusion rather than cognition. For all those times, including just now, I, I apologize. I really do want you to know what I'm saying, and I hope that, for the most part, I communicate clearly. Interestingly, Jesus doesn't seem concerned about all those in the throngs of people surrounding him who don't grasp the point of the parables that he's put forth. In fact, while speaking privately with his followers after the crowds have gone away, he quotes an Old Testament passage which seems to suggest he's not aiming to connect with everybody who hears his voice. Let me read the words of Isaiah, which Jesus quoted, and I'll read Jesus' explanation of his use of parables in the quote from Mark chapter 4, verses 11 and 12. Starting in verse 11, he told them, the secret of the kingdom of God has been given to you, but to those on the outside, everything is said in parables, so that they may be ever hearing, but never perceiving, and ever hearing, but never understanding, otherwise they might turn and be forgiven. Now, I can guess that maybe some of you are thinking uh, that God wants everybody to be saved, so why in the world would he say something like this? If he wants everybody to know the truth and believe, why is he saying he wants some to be never understanding, some to never turn so that they can be forgiven? Well, let me read Second Peter 2, 8, and 9 and show you that God does, in fact, want everyone to believe. In 2 Peter 3, 8 and 9, it says, But do not forget this one thing, dear friends. With the Lord, a day is like a thousand years, and a thousand years are like a day. The Lord is not slow in keeping his promise, as some understand slowness. Instead, he is patient with you, not wanting anyone to perish, but everyone to come to repentance. These words were written down as God gave them, their author was no less than the seeming chief of the twelve, Peter, the guy who preached on the first day that the church existed and saw 3,000 people turn from their sin and believe on Jesus, the guy who led the church in Jerusalem while it faced extreme persecution and struggled to work out what it meant to follow Jesus. Peter. He's the one that wrote those words. This guy says God is patient. God doesn't want anyone to perish. God wants everyone to turn from their sin. Is he contradicting Jesus when Jesus says in Mark chapter 4 that he wants some to be not perceiving, not understanding? Seems unlikely, doesn't it? We must therefore seek to fully understand what Jesus was saying so this seeming disagreement can be resolved. The Bible can't, after all, say God wants all to come to repentance and at the same time say God doesn't want some people to understand their position before God 
and turn and be forgiven. What are we going to do? Abandon ship? Leave the faith? Those would be rather rash actions. The explanation seems simple enough. Jesus is speaking to his followers, the very guys who are soon going to take up the preaching of the good news and showing them this truth. Some will reject their message. The parable of the sower, which he is addressing at this very moment, says that many will act this way. In fact, maybe most. Though this is true, the parable suggests that the disciples should persist in spreading the word because some will believe. Those who care enough to seek the truth will enter into the kingdom. They will repent and be forgiven. Let me tell you what I believe the first parable says about God's character. This story says loud and clear that God is generous with his word. That he is a generous and loving God. He freely gives away the truth, even to those he knows will reject it. He speaks truth knowing that most will walk away. This means hearing God's word is both a blessing and a curse. It's a blessing to those who turn from sin and accept the gift of eternal life by faith. It's a curse to those who reject what they hear and continue in their sinful ways. I want you to hear for the umpteenth time. If you've been here for a while, you've heard me read these verses. I want you to hear again what John says after reporting on Jesus' words about being born again in John 3, 16 to 21. This is what is written by John. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. For God did not send his Son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. Whoever believes in him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe stands condemned already because they have not believed in the name of God's one and only Son. This is the verdict. Light has come into the world, but people loved darkness instead of light because their deeds were evil. Everyone who does evil hates the light and will not come into the light for fear that their deeds will be exposed. But whoever lives by the truth comes into the light so that it may be seen plainly that what they have done has been done in the sight of God. We are by nature condemned. God sent Jesus to rescue us from this condemned state. Jesus came to save. You heard that, right? If we believe, the salvation that he came to bring becomes our salvation. If we refuse to believe, we remain under the judgment of God against sin. Many of you, I hope, have believed. You need to praise God and to thank him for the gift that he's given and seek to spread the word so that others can know and believe. Do that knowing that many, if not most, will reject your words because Satan will keep them from understanding, because some are going to become disillusioned when all their problems don't just vanish immediately, and some are going to look at the world stuff and put the world stuff and all the cares of this life on the throne instead of God. That's what it said, right, in the parable? There's a section in uh, 2 Corinthians 4 that I'd like to insert here. Paul's words to the church reinforce what we've been seeing in Jesus' words. So listen as I read the first 10 verses of 2 Corinthians chapter 4. Therefore, since through God's mercy we have this ministry, we do not lose heart. Rather, we have renounced secret and shameful ways. We do not use deception, nor do we distort the word of God. 
On the contrary, by setting forth the truth plainly, we commend ourselves to everyone's conscience in the sight of God. And even if our gospel is veiled, it is veiled to those who are perishing. The God of this age has blinded the minds of unbelievers so that they cannot see the light of the gospel that displays the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. For what we preach is not ourselves, but Jesus Christ as Lord, and ourselves as your servants for Jesus' sake. For God, who said, let light shine out of darkness, made his light shine in our hearts to give us the light of the knowledge of God's glory displayed in the face of Christ. But we have this treasure in jars of clay to show that this all-surpassing power is from God and not from us. We are hard-pressed on every side, but not crushed, perplexed, but not in despair, persecuted, but not abandoned, struck down, but not destroyed. We always carry around in our body the death of Jesus so that the life of Jesus may also be revealed in our body. The devil blinds unbelievers. That's a fact according to Paul's spirit-inspired words. Can the devil's blinders be removed? Yes. I believe that they can be. I believe that every one of us should be praying earnestly for those that we know who are rejecting God. We should be praying that God would give them eyes to see. Their blindness is only permanent when they're dead and gone. Until then, there's hope. So keep spreading the word indiscriminately. Now, what about the results? Those are up to God, aren't they? Jesus seems to say so in that second parable that we're given in this chapter. Read read verses 26 to 29 with me. Jesus also said, This is what the kingdom of God is like. A man scatters seed on the ground night and day, whether he sleeps or gets up. The seed sprouts and grows, though he does not know how. All by itself the soil produces grain, first the stalk, then the head, then the full kernel in the head. As soon as the grain is ripe, he puts the sickle to it because the harvest has come. The planting of the seed, spreading the word, that's our job. Then we watch as God produces the crop. When he's done his work, we see the harvest. God send the harvest here. May those who resist you, God, come to faith in you. Now, there's one more parable in Mark 4, the parable of the mustard seed. The message Jesus seeks to convey here is simple enough, I suppose. He's telling his followers, those who will believe, that even though the kingdom doesn't seem like much at the beginning, it's going to grow. It's going to get big, really, really big. In uh, 2010, the Pew Research Center estimated there were more than 2 billion Christians in the world. The world's population at that time was somewhere around 6.9 billion. It's grown since then, and I assume that the church has grown as well. But that means that nearly 30% of the world claimed in some way to follow Jesus. When Jesus ascended into heaven, there were less than 200 followers. The mustard plant, it's grown. People are still putting their faith in God. They're doing it in places where the church is tolerated and in places where they have to go underground. The church grows because God is generous with his message and keeps sending it out. He spreads it pell-mell through his servants, his word sowers. The seed grows and the harvest is gathered. Again, God, send your harvest here. Our holy, compassionate, good, and fearless God is generous with his word. 
wanting all to come to repentance and to be set free from sin, he offers the gift of eternal life to all who will believe. Do you believe? If you do, thank God for his generosity towards you. Thank him for his grace, which makes a way for the unholy to be made holy. Thank him for taking the blinders off your heart so that you could see the gospel, the good news, and believe. Do all that thanking, and then pray for those whom you know who have not yet believed. Pray God would rebuff Satan's attempts to snatch the word away from them. Pray that they would be given a deep faith which can endure trouble and persecution. Pray that God would rule on the throne of their hearts instead of all the junk in the world. I got to pray that for myself too, don't you? Each of us has a friend or two or maybe more who have not yet put their faith in Jesus. In the final moments of our time together today, I want to invite you to pray thanksgiving to God for what he's done in your life, but also to pray that he would bring salvation to your friends and your family and those that you love, those who God puts in your life. Ask that God would do his work in their lives and take those blinders off. I want to give you just a few moments in silence to respond to God and what he said to you and to pray thanksgiving and to pray for the salvation of those around you who don't know Jesus yet, that God would send a harvest. So let's just take a few moments in silence and allow God to do his work in us. Father, thank you for sending your son, Jesus. Thank you for loving us enough to rescue us when by nature we were condemned. And God, we know that there's people here in Pratt, people we love and care for, and people outside of this town as well that we know and have influence in their lives who don't know Christ as Savior. Give us opportunities this week to spread the seed spread your word, to speak truth and to speak the good news that Jesus came to save, not to condemn, and to set people free. We thank you for rescuing us and pray, God, that you would continue to do your work and rescue others. In Jesus' name, amen. Before we go, I want to read one more verse, a verse from James chapter 1, which ought to get you through the week in good shape as you follow Jesus. This is James chapter 1, verse 5. If any of you lacks wisdom, you should ask God who gives generously to all without finding fault, and it will be given to you. As you wake each morning this week, as you walk into each new situation, ask your generous God for guidance. He will give to his children all the wisdom that they need to follow him. You can trust him for direction, for words, for whatever. Live expecting and receiving his help this week. God bless you all. Praise be to God for his generosity toward us. We hope you have been encouraged and challenged by today's sermon. If you want to hear each week's message, be sure to subscribe to Friendly Words in your podcast app. 
May God bless you as you follow Jesus in the power of the Holy Spirit.